Hi, I'm Brian. I'm the minister here at Harmony Christian Church. Thanks for clicking on this video. Thanks for giving us a watch. I hope that this message today is, is a blessing to you and whoever you might be watching this video with today. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can go to harmonychurch.tv. You can go there and read up about us and see what's going on with, with us here at, at Harmony. Uh, you can also go online to give as well. You can do a one-time gift or set up recurring giving. If you'd like to maybe uh, mail us a gift, you could do that as well. You can send that to 7100 uh, South Choctaw Road, Choctaw, Oklahoma, 73020. Uh, you can do that. That'd be great if you if you would like to do so. Maybe you'd like to give us a call at 405-391-7310. Thanks for watching, and I hope that this video today, again, is, is a blessing to you and to your family today. Thanks. I was reading about this minister who had decided to have a marriage seminar at his church invited people to come. Several couples came and attended. The seminar was going along just fine. Things were going well. And he decided to teach a certain kind of skill to the, the, the couples that were there. He decided to teach them a, a kind of listening, a reflective kind of listening. Now, as soon as you say reflective listening, you, you know, you kind of you kind of want to fall asleep, right? You know, reflective listening. But it's a really, really good skill for couples to learn, especially when in the middle of a fight and when Things are real tense. This is an excellent skill to learn to really kind of communicate well, lower the tension, find out kind of what's going on. It, it's a really good skill to learn. And so he wanted the couples to practice this new skill. And so they were practicing their little skill. And as they were doing that, this one guy kind of raised his hand and he was like, um, this is nice. Like, this is great. It sounds like good stuff. I think this might work for a lot of couples. You know, it might work for them. But for my marriage, I really think this is going to work. And the, and the minister was like, well, what do you mean? Like, why won't it work? And he was like, well, you know, sometimes when you fight, you just want to have a fight. You know what? Guy's right. Sometimes when you fight, you just want to have a fight. You know, a, a, a good fight can, it's a, it's a good emotional release. You know, throwing a punch, you know, you, you feel kind of alive and you, you, you feel, you know, like you're getting some things kind of off your chest, so to speak. You know, a, a good fight can remind you about the things that are really important, the things that are really meaningful. Uh, a good fight can kind of do that. You know, it, it can really kind of bring out some of the best and some of the brightest. You know, and, and sometimes for some people, I don't know, maybe when you were a kid, you just didn't get that pony that your parents promised you or whatever it was. And sometimes in a conflict, you just kind of walk in already loaded and ready to go for a conflict. Some people are like that. Some folks are just up for a good fight. That was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was always up for a good fight. In fact, if the Roman Empire had a t-shirt, it'd probably just say something like, Rome, we like the fight. Like, that's just kind of like their sort of motto. Rome loved to just go and just conquer, defeat, victory, achieved like that was sort of like the Roman Empire in a nutshell and up until the Roman Empire there had really never been like a an armed military empire like the Roman Empire basically the Roman Empire would show up they'd kill off all your men and at the end of a bloody sword and with a bit of a smile on their face they would say congratulations you have now joined the Roman Empire and by the way uh, half of your people now are now our slaves you also need to pay us a whole lot of money. But the joy is, is that you get to be a part of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire would squash any kind of dissent ruthlessly. That was the Roman Empire. 
And, and they said that all of this was done to bring peace, that their fighting brought peace to the world. That's something that governments around the world are still trying to convince us of. And they called all of this Pax Romana, which is the peace of Rome. The peace of Rome came at the end of a bloody sword and a whole lot of graves. That's what the peace of Rome was. So it would be no surprise, like one might expect, that early Christians, as they were sort of uh, gaining and sort of coming to Christ in those few early years, you would think that Christians would want to say, you know what? We've had enough of your kind of peace, Rome. How about if we give you a taste of your own kind of peace? Why doesn't everybody just go home, let's go get some rocks and some pitchforks, and let's just take it to Rome? But we don't have any record of that. We have no record of Christians doing that at all. We don't have a record of anybody going to battle that kind of way. But, you know, living here in America, though, we're always up for a good fight. We're, I mean, it's sort of like our thing. Like, since the founding of our nation, we're kind of always up for a fight, for just about anything. Especially nowadays, a lot of things that I see that are out there, there's a whole lot of Christians that are out there looking for a good fight. They're looking for a fight to have with all kinds of things out there in the culture because it's up to us to fight back and get back all these things, these cultural things that have been maybe lost or ignored, and it's up to us to fight back. It's pretty obvious American Christians want to fight back. In the year 2012, a big fight came up. In the year 2012, there was a big fight that was had, and the fight all started because Dan Cathy, who was the COO of Chick-fil-A, had some private thoughts and feelings about gay marriage and homosexuality, and those private thoughts became public. And when they became public, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of threats that were made in his direction. And, and somewhere sort of almost seemingly like out of the blue... There was this call that what Christians needed to do was we needed to fight back. And the way to fight back was to have Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. And on that day, Christians were told what you need to do is round up all your family, round up your friends, get in the car, head to your local Chick-fil-A, and buy a whole lot of chicken and get a whole lot of waffle fries, and we are going to fight back against all these things that we see going on. We're going to show them that we can win and achieve a victory. And there were a whole lot of Christians on that day, the day of Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day, that said victory had been achieved. You know, a, a group of people that are looking for a victory are a group of people that are looking for a fight. The book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 18, Paul writes this, he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, or everyone can also be translated there as live at peace with all. So just when we got settled, like just when we thought we were kind of okay with our own family, with a few of our friends, people that for the most part look like us, talk like us, vote like us, Paul messes all that up and says, uh, no, you're supposed to be living at peace to the best of your ability, with all people, with everybody. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I look around, I, I see a whole lot of people looking for a fight. 
I see Christians posting things on things like Facebook. Maybe you've seen a post, something like this. Some Christian will post something that'll say, uh, I could use your help. Uh, I've got a friend who's an atheist, and I need some good ammunition for the next time that we get together. Up for a good fight. I, I see, I see as, a, as a church kid, I was always told to get ready for a fight. As a church kid, where, where I was growing up, especially as a guy, I was always kind of told, you need to be ready for a fight. Because you know what? There's those Baptists out there, and they've got baptism all wrong. And then the, the Catholics, they got this all wrong. And the Methodists, they got this all wrong. I mean, basically, everybody's wrong except for us. And you really need to have it. You really need to have your arguments laid out because you, be, you better be ready for a fight. And you better win because biblical purity and biblical doctrine are at stake if you get this stuff wrong. You've got to be up for a fight. You've got you to be ready to go. Just about every Christmas now, I am told that there is a war on Christmas. And somehow, someway, I'm supposed to be in a fight over this wonderful season of Christmas. If you're ever, for some reason, walking around a Christian bookstore, maybe you're just looking online for maybe a Christian book to buy, I mean, it would sure seem that Christians are up for a fight. I mean, here's just a few of the titles of the books that are out there that you can get written by Christians. Uh, the Culture War, The Battle Ready, The Invisible War, Winning the Values War in a Changing Culture, The Hardcore Battle Plan, Every Man's Battle, Every Woman's Battle, Financial Armageddon. It would seem like what we're up for is a good fight. Victory must be achieved. Paul, again, writing in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, starting in verse 14, he says this, For he himself is our peace, he who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was not to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So Paul is writing here in the book of Ephesians, and he says, okay, look, uh, you, there's these Christians that are out there. There are these two groups. You have Jewish Christians and you have Gentile Christians that since the time they were babies, since the time they were babies, they were told you don't like them. Don't like them. You don't wear their kind of clothes. You don't eat their kind of food. You don't eat where they eat. You don't talk like they talk. You don't share their values. Anything that has anything to do with them, you hate. If it's possible to breathe air that they don't breathe, do that. And Paul says, through the cross of Christ, hostilities have been ceased. Jews and Gentiles are now not two separate things, but they have become one. They've become one. You don't have to go to war. You can pick a side. And Paul says that Jesus picked a side. And the side he picked was all. In 2013, there was a lady by the name of Antonia Brenner. Now, Antonia Brenner, she uh, she grew up in uh, Beverly Hills to a very wealthy family. Uh, she was a two-time divorcee. She had seven children. But in 2013, she passed away, and she was a nun. And the problem is, is being a two-time divorcee and 
having seven children, there really wasn't any kind of a order of nuns that she could be a part of, and so she started her own order. She had this deep calling, this, this deep sense that God had rooted in her for the, this concern and this love for the poor, for the brokenhearted, for the wounded people that are out there. And so as she was thinking about all the ways that she could possibly serve and, and do ministry, she decided to go to La Mesa, La Mesa Prison, which is in Tijuana, Mexico. It is, it is a prison that the worst of the worst criminals in Mexico go to. It is world-renowned as like one of the most violent prisons in the world. And that's where she wanted to go. She spent years there. And she was a friend of both guards and prisoners. She became this source of somebody who was trusted, somebody who cared, a source of, of goodwill and compassion. One time she had gone home for a, for a little while just to visit her family and see her kids and check up on everybody. And while she was gone, she got word that a riot at the prison had broken out. Some guards and some prisoners had been killed, and so she quickly got back in her car, drove back to the prison, and begged the officials to let her in. It took a couple days for her to get into the prison, but finally, when she was finally allowed into the prison, it didn't take too long for that riot to come to a stop. One prisoner said that as soon as they heard the voice of Mother Antonia, they began to throw their weapons out the window. Now, now, why did she get such respect? I mean, why did they really care about her that much? Well, during most days, after she had, you know, listened to confessions, after she had offered counsel, after she had provided teaching, after she had offered some, some care and concern, offered prayers with people, she didn't get into her car and drive to a nice house in a nice suburb somewhere and prop her feet up and have a nice hot meal. That's not how she worked. Every day, at the end of her day, after doing all of those things, she walked down a little hallway to her own 8 by 10 cell that she lived in for 30 years. For 30 years, she lived in that prison, in that 8 by 10 cell. She ate the same food that the prisoners ate. She lined up every morning for roll call along with all the other prisoners. She picked a side. And the side that she picked was all. It was everybody. When I first came to Harmony Christian Church, my title was that of associate minister. But in truth, in reality, I was really the youth minister. So there's all kinds of youth ministry things, you know, that I did. You know, lots of summer camps. And we went to CIY. We went to Colorado and Missouri and all kinds of places. We did mission trips all over the place. We painted houses. We did Habitat for Humanity, Habitat for Humanity homes. Uh, we fed the homeless uh, down in Oklahoma City. We fed the homeless all the way over in Shawnee. We just did a whole lot of things. But the group of kids that, that I got to know, uh, we, we worshiped together. We laughed together. We did lock-ins together. We prayed together. We cried together. We had heart-to-heart -heart talks. We we wondered why teenage boys were so stupid, and we wondered why teenage girls were so crazy, and we had all kinds of conversations. 
And now all those kids have kind of grown up. They've grown up and they've gotten married and some of them have had kids. Uh, some of them have gone through divorce. Some of them have joined the military. Some have struggled with addiction to alcohol and drugs. Some of them, uh, some of them have, have learned the, the hard night, the, this deep struggle of dealing with mental illness. Some of them have become teachers and nurses and lawyers. And some of those kids are gay. And when I hear fellow Christians say things about people, gay folks, homosexuals, when I read and hear Christians say things that really put those people down, you know what? You're picking on my kids. People that I know. People that have faces and names. People that have moms and dads. People that aren't streaming in your face their identity and not trying to take anything away from you. They are victims of the discourse that we are all a part of. And their parents are the same. Christian parents who have been told that the only way to deal with that is to shun and shut away yourself from your kids. It's a fight. Because victory must be achieved. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that victory has already been achieved. That through the cross of Christ, two hostile forces have now become one. One. Oneness is not just some little incidental sort of thing from the gospel. It's, it's a part of it. It's a part of the deal. You know, The good news of Jesus, the cross of Christ, is offering us all a path forward into how to deal with racial issues, educational barriers, economic and social issues. There is a way forward. There's a whole lot of Christian leaders out there that have told us what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be thinking. We've been told that in order to be strong Christians, to be to be strong and fight, you know, fight for what matters, Christians. We're supposed to be dismissive of other people, domineering, abrasive, argumentative. That's who we need to be. And may I tell you that the church has been lied to. We have all been a part of a massive misinformation campaign. We've all been told that there are certain behaviors that Christians are supposed to have when you enter the ballot box. There are certain policies that you're supposed to support and certain policies that you're not supposed to support. In fact, there's even certain times restaurants that you're supposed to eat in and certain restaurants you're not supposed to eat in. We've been told that real and genuine Christianity is something that you can use to be free to be rude and free to be unkind and free to get in somebody's face. 
We've been lied to. And we have been told that you can say just about anything you want as long as it kind of has this thread of being biblically accurate. Well, then you can just be as kind of rude and crude and dismissive and argumentative as you want. Let me just tell you, this has never been true. Never been true. You know, it's the same problem Jesus had with the Pharisees. The problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees was not a lack of information. The Pharisees had all the information that was needed. They knew the law. They knew the law extremely well. What they just couldn't wrap their brains around was that the law, while important, was not as important as people. They just didn't get that. It wasn't that their information was wrong. It was that their view, their understanding, their sort of denial of God was wrong. What they just couldn't understand was that God really did love everybody. They just couldn't get that. They had the right information. They just had the wrong view of God. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Stash away your swords. Put down the protest sign. Stop sending those almost true emails around and those almost true sort of rap with maybe just a tinge of something biblical to it. But the truth is it's really just an opinion stuffed all over Facebook. Turn off the cable news, which is really there just to stir us all up. Turn off talk radio. When you choose peace instead of war, what you're signaling to the world is, is that there's a different kind of kingdom and there's a different kind of king and I'm not going to play your stupid little game anymore. I don't have to play gay versus straight. I don't have to play red state versus blue state. I don't have to play rich versus poor. Don't have to play black versus white. Don't have to play any of those games. I don't have to play love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I don't have to play. And I don't have to play because the cross of Christ has ceased hostility. Christ has made it really clear. He's for everybody. It's for all. And when you choose that, when you choose this path that Christ is offering us, when Christians pray that little prayer, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and begin to live that out, then what you're signaling to your friends, to your family, to the world, is that there really is a new king in town. There really is a new kingdom. Question is, will we do that? A new kingdom has come. Paul says, hostilities have ceased. Victory's already been achieved. Peace has come. God bless you. This is the book of Matthew.
chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 